0: back on in the morning. It's a morning show again. Good morning and welcome to the Pirates Podcast to be named later here on DK Sports Radio. My name is Alex Stone, host as always. I'm going to be joined in the second half by Alexis Bernicke of Baseball America. Uh, She recently had some interesting things to say about Anthony Alford. She's covered him for almost a decade now since going back to 2012. Very interesting conversation about what the Pirates could be getting out of the center fielder for 2021 and potentially beyond. But for now, I want to talk about the pitching. We'll have a hitting segment later, but we got to talk about the pitching right now because on Wednesday, the Pirates were dealt a couple blows. One of them was pretty expected with Blake Cedarland getting Tommy John surgery. To be frank, if you're getting a second opinion on a UCL strain, that's usually the outcome. That's yeah, usually, you know, you get, you don't want to go in with just based off of one opinion. you got to be careful because this is, you know, going to be 14, 16 months of Blake Cedarland's life that he's not going to be able to appear in a game. It's just going to be a lot of rehab. It's going to be a lot of buildup. It's going to be a stretch. It's going to be a long road back for him. But that was kind of expected once the UCL strain happened. And it does stink for the Pirates bullpen in 2021 because Blake might not have made the opening day team, but certainly would have been called up at some point. Probably would have pitched some higher leveraged innings as the inning as the season went on. So that's that's a that stinks for the Pirates. That was one of the guys who was really gonna be someone to tune in and watch. Another one on the other end of the spectrum, someone who's been around for a while, a starter, someone that the Pirates are really counting on to eat some innings. Steven Brault is going to be missing 10 to 12 weeks. with, Or I guess I should phrase it as, he's not going to throw for a month. It's probably going to be about 10 to 12 weeks until he's able to get back to throwing if all goes well. With what is put into layman terms by... By Todd Tomczyk as a, a last strain of his left shoulder. Yes, he, he's had shoulder strains before in the past, but this is independent of what he had back there. So this isn't, you know, related to the injuries that he had in 2019 and near the end of camp in 2020. That's another thing that stinks for this Pirates rotation because Brault was one of those guys who was just going to be in the middle of it. He was going to be just part of that rotation. He was going to make some starts. He was going to... It looked like he was going to pitch well. I liked the approaches that he was taking in spring training whenever I got to see him down in Bradenton. He's loose, and to be frank, that quote-unquote freaking throwing machine of himself is the best version of Stephen Brault. No, he's not going to pitch as well as he did those final two games of last season over the course of a whole year. But there was someone that, in this year where everyone's going to be looking for innings, it looked like Stephen Brault was the type of guy who could throw, you know, 150, 160 of them. Now that's not going to happen. Where do you make up those innings for those two players? In Cedarland's case, I think it's a little easier to find. It's David Bednar who is in the same boat as Cedarland was of, you know, will he make the opening day team? Uh, You know, if we're going based off what he's shown in spring training, there isn't a question in anyone's mind. He's throwing harder than ever. I mean, he's hitting 99, occasionally 98, 99. He's got some good secondary pitches. He's the type of guy that, you know, in a year from now, what everyone was saying about Blake Cedarland, about how he could be, you know, this leverage reliever, maybe even like flirt with the closer job for 2022. I wouldn't be shocked if we hear the same stuff about David Bednar over the course of the season. And yeah, I know every spring training, there's one pitcher that kind of sticks out. It's usually a reliever for the parts. One pitcher is like, wow, did you see what Blake Sederland did in 2020? Did you see what Jeff Hartley did in 2019? There's always that type of guy. I don't think Bednar's just going to be that. You know, that that one hit. Oh my goodness, did you see him in spring training? He's not Matt Haig. He's not. (laughs) Who's the pitcher version of Matt Haig? I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll circle back to that. Maybe after a couple more minutes of, of rambling, it'll come up to me. But Bednar is the type of guy who, look away from like the the feel good, home good angles and all of that stuff, just a really good pitcher. And maybe low-key, one of the biggest steals that Ben Charrington picked up this offseason. Because you know, you hurry, Contreras, Hudson Head, Eddie Yeen, Will Crow, those are all guys who are really high up on the team's prospect rankings. Benner kinda wasn't. He was already on the 40-man roster. The Padres had to open up a spot on the 40-man to acquire Joe Muskovit. It almost kind of feels not as a throw-in, but a piece that San Diego was very willing to part with. They're definitely in win-now mode, and you know they were like, "Well, we we like David Bendar, but do we really want to develop a, a splitter reliever right now? Whenever we're trying to compete with the Dodgers, you know, for a division title, or you know, more importantly, knock them out of the postseason potentially." So I can see why they're willing to to part with David Bendar. Starting is more interesting, because there are definitely two ways the Pirates could go with it. They could go with the veteran. And they've acquired a couple lately. Trevor Cahill, we haven't seen a lot of him. He was throwing independently before he signed. So it's not like, you know, he needs to be... Fully built up as a starter. And the same can be said for Stephen Wright. The knuckleballer. Who Gerard Garbato did a good job of, of addressing you know, his past. I won't go any further into that. Read the story. If you do not know what I am referred to. Two guys who are inning eaters. That's what they are. And they're both here for one year. So the logic, you know, for long-term plans would be absolutely go to Will Crow, go to Miguel Yajure. go to Cody Ponce, go to a kid. We know what we got with right in Cahill. Go with a kid. And I am not, whenever I say this, I am not saying you have to go with the veteran here. But and this stinks that there's a but. Because if we're, again, if we're going based off of merit, David Bednar and and Will Crow would be the two guys, I would say, who earned spots on the opening day staff, just based off of their spring performance. And yes, I know meritocracy, competition, circumstance is really dictating a lot for Pirates pitchers. So unless they do something out of character and, like, Let go of Michael Feliz, something that I don't think is completely out of the realm of possibility. I I seriously doubt it. But if I I get that text that says, hey, Michael Feliz is going to be, you know, DFA'd or traded for cash considerations or something like that, I wouldn't be shocked. Shocked? Two shocked. I'd be shocked, one shocked. There's a difference between the two. I think Michael Felice is going to be on the opening day roster. I think I should probably throw that out there just as like a clarify in case anyone's going to take my words. This is all rambling. That's the joy of podcasting here. I have like a couple notes and then I just riff off of that. Let's go. What do I got here? It should be Will Crow and Ben Nar, or your hurry was optioned, so it's not going to be your hurry, but. Those type of guys. But you have to protect the arms. And if you put them at the alternate site for a month, or however long, you can protect them. There's a difference between babying someone and slowly stretching out. Because here's the deal. If everyone has a 150-inning limit, and they all hit it at the end of August, what do you do in September? Stephen Wright is an inning eater. He throws the knuckleball. He could throw 400 innings this year, if the Pirates so chose. Trevor Cahill, a veteran. He could throw a lot of innings if necessary. Tyler Anderson, a veteran who could throw innings if necessary. There's a lot of old guys who the Pirates don't have to... I I don't want to say they don't have to worry about their long-term plans, because that's too crass a way of saying it. But they have to be more concerned about Mitch Keller. They have to be more concerned about Miguel Hurry, about Rosie Contreras, about Will Crow, about guys who could... And, and all the prospects. And all the prospects. They have to keep an eye on those guys. And it's for that reason that I wouldn't be shocked if the Pirates wait on Will Crow. Not because of service time, not because of anything else, just because they need to make sure they can manage the innings properly. We've talked about in the past how there is a an upper echelon of players who are on an opening day roster. And the prestige that comes with that. About how there is a group of players who play three or four years and just never make an opening day team. Like, let's look at Jose Osuna. The only time he made the opening day team was last year, whenever he was out of... You know, he wasn't out of minor league options. I, my mistake. He had one minor league option yet. But expanded rosters. Clay Holmes. Someone who only made the opening day roster for the first time last year because he was out of options and the expanded rosters. So that's who's going to be my go-to example there. And hey, if Clay Holmes does end up making... <laughs> the opening day team, which doesn't seem completely out of the realm of possibility. He's pitched terrifically this spring. Maybe he'll become the pitching version of Matt Haig. Who knows? The Pirates need to manage innings. And that it's going to be a sprint. And while everyone, I think, would love to see one of these kids that the Pirates traded for this offseason be in the opening day rotation I'm doubtful. Crow has a shot. Crow has a shot. But I can't help but feel like the Pirates would rather manage their innings more effectively. They know they're going to all get a chance in the major leagues at some point. Except for maybe like the guys like Contreras and Kranick, who are already on the 40-man roster. But, you know, haven't pitched above A-ball. They have some inning eaters. Right I'll throw Chase DeYoung into that, even though he's not on the roster. Same with Wright, but DeYoung actually has looked pretty good this spring. Not saying he's going to be, you know, this revelation or anything, but someone who could, you know, come in at some point and just eat those unglorious innings. Yeah, he could probably do that. Have those guys eat the innings. And if that means that they have to get some starts at the beginning of the year to make it all worth everyone's while so be it. We're going to take a break. Whenever we come back, Alexis Bernicki of Baseball America is going to join and we're going to talk some Anthony And welcome back here to the podcast to be named later here on DK sports radio. I am joined now by baseball America writer, Alexis Brunicki, who baseball America recently did a story where they got a bunch of their writers together and say, Hey, who is going to be the breakout hitter for this season? And Alexis has a long history covering Anthony Alford. And I think you referred to him as the perpetual prospect in that perpetual perennial. I can't remember either one, but good alliteration for either pick there. Um, So I guess besides, you know, wanting this guy to finally break out, what makes 2021 this year?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm hopeful for, for this year to be the year for, for him, because I do think he will get uh, more of an extended chance with the pirates than maybe he had at times with the blue Jays, obviously injuries hampered him with the Blue Jays, and injury, uh, finished his season last year. But I do hope, I guess, the way that the Pirates are going, that it just kind of gives him more of a chance to really be who he is, to get going, to uh, bring out everything that he brings to the table in terms of the tools and the athleticism and kind of finally put it all together. And I definitely did call him the perpetual prospect just because he... Never even, I mean, he was, I think he's gone through um, his his three years of being eligible to, to be sent back down to the minors. And he still hasn't reached the point where he has enough service time to not be a rookie anymore. So, or at least last year. So for me, I mean, he is the perpetual prospect. That's how we kind of classify who the prospects are is rookie eligibility. And um, I mean, I would love to see him get that service time and get over that and just get a chance to put it all together.
0: This is, you also covered the blue Jays for anyone who doesn't know for MLB.com for a couple years. And I guess this is kind of an interesting spot because here's a guy who for years was considered one of the top prospects in that system, but just looking from it from afar, Toronto wasn't afraid to add outfielders into the mix, even though, you know, they had this guy who could, could potentially be, You know, this everyday center fielder, whether it was Randall Grinchak, whether it was, you know, giving Vigio a couple starts in the outfield. Like, do you ever get a feel from the organization that they just kind of, even before whenever they eventually did cut ties last year, that they weren't as high on the guy over the last couple of years?
1: I mean, I I don't think that you ever want to limit yourself in terms of depth. Um, And I think the Blue Jays have kind of proven that they never saw Randall Grinchick as a center fielder. Um, I don't think they ever thought long-term Kevin Vigio would be an outfielder, but certainly also not a center fielder. Uh, I also don't know that that is necessarily where they would have positioned Anthony Alford, but, um, I do think it was a different scenario and I do think you have to kind of plot out your depth and you need to constantly be making additions. Um, for, for him, I guess, it was injuries. It was really like you kind of, you have to always, I guess, have a backup plan for, for what's happening. Even he would go on extended runs of success in A, where you would think he would get called up to the big leagues. And then I think even in 2019, and then it was like an oblique problem, I think um, just little things here and there, he was going really, really well. And then it was just like a twinge of something Um, I want to say oblique. And then that kind of took him out of the mix for a month. And then as that month went by, you know, somebody else needed to get called up at some point or somebody else takes that spot. And I don't think you can ever have enough depth, but I also don't know that, that they weren't investing in him. I mean, he did spend a very long time in the blue Jays organization. Um, I think like I wrote the, the top, the uh, Blue Jays top 30 prospects list for MLB um, la- going into last season, going into 2020. And uh, like I said, like he was still prospect eligible for that list. I still had him on that list. Um, and when I, when I talked to the people that I talked to inside and outside of the organization, it was very clear to me that he still belonged on that list. So um, I think it was just, everybody was kind of in a hard spot with the way that the development and the injuries and everything um we're just we're kind of constantly happening I
0: whatever I added Alexis to the zoom call get to you know introduce myself I brought up well you know now for since 2019 and she corrected me that he's known him a lot lot longer than that I'll just give the ball completely in your court and how have you seen this young man develop as a person also
1: Yeah, I mean, I have loved getting to see um, Anthony play and just getting to know him a little bit over the years. Um, I saw him. uh, I was working in the Australian Baseball League when he was playing in the Australian Baseball League. Um, He played for the Canberra Cavalry and he was kind of uh, trying to catch up on getting baseball time in on the field after coming from football. And then when I was at scout school in 2016, um, we were scouting the Arizona Fall League and he was playing in the Arizona Fall League then as well. Um, I got a chance to cover him in Lansing, and Buffalo, um, in Dunedin, along the way, um, in Toronto, obviously, and then in Buffalo again, and Toronto again. Um, but for me, I mean, there's no doubt that he is an incredible athlete. Uh, he has a lot of tools that he brings to the table. Um, I mean... The speed is super impressive. The power that he has is impressive. Um, The defense is impressive. I mean, I'm, you know, I probably could hit up a thesaurus for this, but um, everything that he's doing is, is so incredibly athletic and you just want to see it day in, day out without any interruptions. And that's been the biggest issue. And for me, the reason I chose him for our baseball America survey was because I do hope he gets that extended chance. And I do hope that happens for him. Um, you know, fast Twitch athletes. I read a study that fast Twitch athletes are more prone to injury injuries tend to last longer. They are more difficult to heal. And obviously he's a fast Twitch athlete. Um, that's what happens. And I mean, we talked about earlier as well. Like he's a guy who goes a hundred all the time when he's playing the game. And if you are going a hundred and your 100 looks like what his looks like, you know, when you run into a wall to make a catch, things are going to happen. And um, I do, I do just hope that he gets that extended chance. He, he has that time on the field with the pirates and that it all can can kind of showcase the package that that everyone has believed him to be over the years, and just hasn't been able to see him put together yet.
0: I recently did a piece where the Pirates hitting coach brought up that whenever he, the Alfred came to the Pirates, he just watched every video of every at bat from like 2015 for him, and said like the swing he has now is just like taking a piece here and piece there. So I got curious, and I you know hit up you know <laughs> watching as much as I could through Baseball so and yeah there has been a lot of mechanical changes for him over the years, whether it's, you know, leg kick or how crouched he is in the plate, where his hands are positioned, how quickly he gets into his load. Just knowing this guy, how much is it going to be beneficial that it seems like he does have a, an attack plan at the plate and maybe that will let those tools play?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I've talked to him about it over the years too. I think along the way um, he, he, has, especially as someone who was not a baseball first athlete coming into the game of baseball, he has had a lot of people, a lot of teachers, a lot of coaches, a lot of mentors come in and offer advice and offer feedback. And he has tried to take it all. And the problem with that is that there is sometimes a little bit too much. And so if you're taking feedback from everyone who wants to give it to you, or if you're taking this mechanical change and that mechanical change and this thing from that person. And the other thing from someone else, it tends to get to be a little bit too much and you get away from being yourself. And for him, I know he and I talked about it a couple of years ago. He, he was getting away from being the athlete that he was this, he was signed because of his athleticism, and because of his ability to be an athlete. And then he did put in the time, and he did put in the effort to alter uh, everything to be more of who people wanted to see him become, but that took away from just natural talent. And so I think, I especially think over the last couple of years that he has really been able to learn how to take what works and use it to make himself better, but block out some other things. I mean, he also might've just been, I mean, too polite a person to ever say no to anybody and say, that's not gonna work for me. But I do think over the last couple years, especially um, he's really, I mean, it's been a long time now. I think he's really learned how to take what helps, And kind of leave everything else on the wayside and not try to do too much at once and understand that what got him here and what has kept him in baseball is just being an athlete and natural talent. I mean, you have to work. Everybody has to work. Um, I I mean, it's hard to even comprehend how much baseball players do work at their craft. But um, understanding that going back to what, you know, got you here and keeps you here is important, I think, has been really big for him. And I hope it will be big for him this year, too.
0: You saw him whenever he was this, you know, the top prospect in the Blue Jay system and I think top 30 in all baseball at the time, depending on which publication you want to go off of. How do you think what what do you think is a realistic ceiling for this guy anymore? So, like, it'd be a lot to say, oh, this guy is going to still be, you know, the perennial all star type of player. But best case scenario for him, because everyone knows what the worst case is going to be. He's going to be cut nothing, venture nothing lost, you know, type of deal. Oh, well.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't count him out. I wouldn't take anything away from him. Um. He's only 26 years old. He's been around for a very long time. So it's really easy to forget. He's only 26 years old. So I mean, I, I wouldn't say that anybody who is 26 years old couldn't be a perennial all star. Um, I think, it obviously really comes down to staying on the field for him um, whether that means getting opportunities or staying healthy. But I mean, I think that's what it comes down to for everyone. That's not like a revelation to say that, but um, I mean, I think, I think the ceiling is really high. I I don't think I would take anything away from that. Like I said, like athletes uh, like he is, um, definitely can be more prone to injury just because of the way those fast twitch muscles work and what they're doing with it. Um, But I wouldn't count him out of anything. He's still super young. He's still super dedicated to his craft. He's still very motivated. He loves the game. Honestly, like if I was him, I don't know how I would love the game as much as he does anymore for everything that he's gone through. So I wouldn't count him out of anything.
0: Alexis, thank you so much for taking some time out. Do you have anything you want to plug right here the last couple minutes?
1: Uh, no, I mean, I'm doing draft coverage right now through through the draft for Baseball America. Um, if anybody is, I mean, obviously Pirates fans should be very interested in the draft and everything going on. But um, yeah, I, I'm working with Carlos Colazo, Baseball America, writing draft features, having draft prospects um, go through scouting reports on themselves with me, which I love doing. So if anybody... Um, wants to find my work my most recent work is on those draft eligible players and I just love learning about the game from them and everything that they're doing so that will be a constant up and up until and through the draft for me
0: all right I lied one more question and you can only yeah. answer with one word
1: and stuff rocker for me. <laughs> or lighter lighter for me right now
0: Ooh. all right I think you're the first person who I've asked who's just said lighter flat out But then again, this is, you know, a couple days after he just struck out, what, 14 over a no hitter. It's pretty justified.
1: I think it was 16. But yeah, um, Yeah. we had a vote last week with with Baseball America. And I said him last week, too. So that's where I'm at right now. I mean, it could change. We'll see what happens Uh, every every week. They go out and do their they go out and do something else. So we'll see. Um, I mean, there's a chance it might not even be either of them. So we'll we'll see what happens.
0: There's always the wild card for that. I guess so that's true. Alexis, thank you so much for being on. If you want to follow her on Twitter, uh, it is at BaseballExis, um, And if I can plug one of her stories, since it is Anthony Alford related, and she has it tagged to the top of her profile, her talk with Jonathan Davis in Alford last year was great. Would strongly recommend just giving that a rate to get a better idea of who both of those players are as people. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast to be name later. Be sure to subscribe to our feeds here on DK Sports Radio. We'll talk again next week.